So this month, the month of June, we're talking about uh, Christian leadership and character. That's been the theme, uh, Christ-like leadership in an age of outrage. And uh, we've covered a lot of ground so far, and uh, we're, gonna, we're, we're doing this on Sunday and also on Wednesday night. So this Wednesday night, we'll have one more session here in the chapel, 6.30. My friend Hunter Mobley, who is an Enneagram expert, is going to come and join me. And we're going to talk about how you lead in life out of your personality type. So I'd love for you to come and be a, be a part of that. It's our final, uh, our final leadership class. Um, but today is Father's Day, so it's only fitting that we recognize our dads because, because fathers are, are leaders. Um, they are leaders in their families. They play an essential role in the life of their family. Um, you know, probably the, 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 the four most important days of my life, in addition to my decision a long time ago to, be, to become a Christian, uh, was May the 16th, 2009, when I married my wife, Megan. That was a, a very important day. Then uh, July the 7th, 2010, when my oldest child, Montgomery, was born. February 13th, 2012, when Clayton was born. And then July the 11th, 2016, when Wade was born. Because on those days, it occurred to me that not only was I a pastor, a minister, I also had a very important role to play as a husband and as a father. And unfortunately, we live in a time where too many people don't take those roles as seriously as they should, or uh, they take them seriously for a while, and then all of a sudden they don't. Um, my kids brought me uh, breakfast in bed this morning, which was very nice. Uh, they gave me cards, and I, I, I left the one in the sanctuary, but Wade filled this card out, I think at the preschool, where he had to answer questions about my dad, right? And so one of the questions was, my favorite thing to do with my dad is, you know, go to fancy restaurants, he said. I don't remember. Um, my dad's favorite thing to do is wear his nice clothes. Um, it said, uh, my dad's favorite thing to cook is blank. My dad does not cook. <laughs> um, my dad, the funniest thing about my dad is blank. My dad is not funny. <laughs> so I was like, man, this is, <laughs> this is kind of rough Wait. So I don't know if anybody else got a, any cards like that, but, um, Family matters, fatherhood matters, parenthood matters, and it's all related to leadership, I believe. Somebody else once said that the two most important days of your life are the day that you're born and the day that you figure out why. And so this morning, in today's message, what I wanna talk about is that question of why. The question of, of, of why, what, what drives us? You might have seen an article that appeared in the New York Times this week that was lifting up our friend Tolu Schuyler Quinn. Did you all see this? We sent it out in our newsletter. Um, there's Tolu. So Tolu came back from Nicaragua. She worked on our staff. She started the National Food Project at that building right up there called South Hall. And she gave leadership and vision to that organization. It grew, it grew, it grew. And now it's a bona fide profit, nonprofit over in, uh, over in the nations. But Tolu figured out a long time ago that her mission in life was to feed hungry people. And then she did that and she's done that ever since. And, and she's battling a really hard illness right now, which has made her have to step down from the food project. But, that, but that's, that's been her mission. That's been her passion and what drives her. And I encourage you to look that article up if you didn't get to read it. Many of you know um, uh, Steve LaForge. Steve LaForge uh, works on our staff. He's our missions field director. Steve had a corporate job, was making a nice living, but he, he, he said, you know, I just, this isn't doing it for me. He retired early. 
<clears throat> he joined the Woodmont staff, and now Steve spends pretty much every week, along with his wife, Deb, out in the community and around the country serving, uh, helping people after floods, after tornadoes, uh, building habitat houses. That is his passion. That is what he lives to do, and that is what he does on a, a regular basis. He serves other people, and he tries to get other people to serve with him. Think about Jesus. Bye-bye. Uh, think about Jesus and his mission. When he began his ministry in Luke's gospel, Jesus said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. That's what Jesus came to do. That was his mission. One of the reasons that I answered the call into the ministry many years ago is because I like to wrestle with the deeper questions of life. Questions like, why are we here? Uh, what is our mission and our purpose? What are we supposed to spend our time doing? What gives us meaning? What is our ultimate goal? Uh, Socrates once said that, that the unexamined life is not worth living, and I agree with that, with that statement. And so I think asking these questions that you see on the screen are very important. And the truth of the matter is everybody answers these questions differently. Uh, if you remember uh, Rick Warren, who's announced he's going to retire, he's the pastor at Saddleback Church, he wrote this book almost 20 years ago called The Purpose Driven Life. Sold over 40 million copies, was translated into 50 uh, different languages. And, and do you remember how he begins the book? A very short phrase. Do you remember if you read the book, what does he say? He says, it's not about you. Say that with me this morning. It's not about you. He says the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your own peace of mind, or even your own happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why we were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by God's purpose and for God's purpose. Now, since the beginning of time, people have asked these questions. What is life all about? Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? And these are important questions because we want to know what God is calling us to do. We want to know what we should spend our, 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 our days and our weeks and our months uh, here on earth uh, doing. And what most Reformed theologians uh, conclude is that we can't answer that question starting with ourselves. We have to start with God because simply focusing on ourselves will not provide us the answers to those questions about our existence and our purpose. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, the purpose of life is not to be happy, it's to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you've lived in this world. Bobby Kennedy once said, the purpose of life is to contribute in some way to making things better. Leo Tolstoy, the sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. The Dalai Lama said, our primary purpose in life is to help others. And if we can't help them, at least don't hurt them. In seminary, um, Donovan and I both, I don't know if you had him, got to study under a guy named Daryl Guter, who was a professor of missiology, also an academic dean. Dr. Guter is a brilliant guy. 
He's a Karl Barth scholar. Um, and remember I told you Princeton, Karl Barth is like part of the Trinity, right? A really big deal up there. But, but Guter was in decades ago on researching and writing about what he calls the missional church movement. What does it mean for the church to live out its mission? And so he wrote this book called The Missional Church where he says this, two things have become quite clear to those who care about the church and its mission. First of all, churches in North America are no, are no longer chaplains to the culture and they have lost their once privileged position in society. And secondly, Guter says, churches have become so accommodating to the American way of life that they are now domesticated and it's no longer obvious what justifies their existence in particular communities. Discipleship, he says, has been absorbed into citizenship. And many times you can't tell the difference between Christians and non-Christians because so often there is no difference. To put it simply, rather than being community, communities that present an alternative way of living, most of the time the church has just mirrored the culture. Now, Guter makes some very clear distinctions that I want to point out. He says, or he reminds us that the church is not a place or a building. We have a beautiful building here. We just added on to it. It's great. But guess what? That's not the church. The church is us, you and me. It's the people who gather together to worship in the building and then to go out and serve. Wherever followers of Jesus Christ are gathered, that is the church. Secondly, he says, the church is not just a vendor of religious services, but a people who are being called and sent out into the world. And this has theological significance. In John chapter 20, Jesus says to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. God sent Jesus into the world and Jesus is sending us into the world. Um, it's important to remember that John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not for God so loved the church. For God so loved the world. The church is a group of people who are sent out into the world to spread the gospel message. And, and it's been said before that the mission has a church, not just that the church has a mission. Now in America, we have allowed consumerism to bleed over into the way that we look at church and faith. So we simply look at church as a place where we go to consume things. I come to church to consume a good sermon. I come to church to consume great music by this amazing band. I come to church to consume a good Sunday school or, or a good kids program or a good youth group. And, and, and there's nothing wrong uh, with, with, with all of that. All those things are good, but that's only the first step. In addition to consuming those things, we must go back out into the world, back out into the community to live out our faith. Do you remember what Sam Pascoe once said about Christianity? He said, Christianity was first born in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved into Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Rome and became a culture. And then years later, it moved to the U.S. and became an entrepreneurial business enterprise. And so a lot of times we just think of church as a place where we go to consume, but that's only part of it. We have to then turn around and go back out and serve. 
And that might look very different for you and you and you in terms of how you feel called to serve and where you feel called to serve. Uh, but, th- but we're being called to go out and serve. The missional church is called to be outwardly focused and not just insular. It's not just about being together as a church. That's important. It's also about taking the church outside the walls and into our community, to the places that we live and work and interact every single day. And so what happens on Sunday morning in the sanctuary, the bridge, in Sunday school, wherever, it should equip us to go out and spread our faith into a world that is seriously hurting. The missional church acknowledges that North America used to send people over to, you know, Africa and India and and all these places as missionaries. And guess what? North America is now a mission field. And I'm dead serious about that. There are people within a mile of this place who do not know the love of Christ, who do not know that they need it. And you don't have to travel over oceans to go out and take the gospel message to them. You can go right here in Green Hills or Brentwood or, or, or East Nashville and you can do that. Now, everything that I'm talking about this morning is grounded in what Jesus taught. Jesus taught us to serve. He taught us to love. He taught us to heal. But it's so easy for us to slip back into selfishness and to think that the world is about us. It's so easy to be wrapped up in our own lives, our own stress, our own problems, our own spirituality, that we forget to live out our mission as Christians. Christianity is a missional faith. What is mission? What's the mission? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then Jesus says, remember, I'm with you always until the end of the age. But in our text this morning from Matthew 7, I think Jesus gets even more specific. First, he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Talk to other people the way you want to be talked to. And you know when this gets hard? This is what I figured out this year. You know when this gets hard? When we're stressed, when we're tired, when we're fearful, when we're exhausted, when we've been dealing with a pandemic for 16 months, when we feel like we have nothing left in our tank to give. That's when the golden rule gets hard, but we don't get a pass. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Secondly, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. But the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. What does this mean? The path of true discipleship is hard. It's not just coming to church on Sundays. It's not just saying that you're a Christian. It's being able to deny self and go live the life that Jesus calls us to live, which includes discipline, prayer, studying the Bible regularly, and going out of our way to serve other people. Jesus says, this is the narrow gate. 
but it leads to life. It's not easy. It's not convenient, but it leads to life. Now, what are the things that keep us from entering the narrow gate? I thought of a few this week. Ignorance, not knowing what's going on in the world around us, not knowing who's hurting and who's in need, not being aware of the challenges in our community. Uh, complacency, just being comfortable with where we are and, and, and with what we have. I think there's a lot of COVID complacency. Have y'all seen that? Selfishness. We live in a self-absorbed culture. People are always looking out for number one. Narcissism, if you remember a few years ago, it's no longer a personality disorder because too many people have it, so it can't be a disorder anymore. DSM four or five, that's a problem, right? Tony Jarvis, the old headmaster that I've quoted uh, throughout the series says, life involves a continual temptation to return to self-absorption. He says, there is a great tendency in all of us to withdraw into ourselves or into safe little cliques of like-minded people to live sheltered, claustrophobic, risk-free, boring little lives. This is often our natural inclination as human beings. Birds with feather flock together. But Jarvis says that the Christian faith calls us to involve ourselves in the lives of other people. It calls us to go against our natural innate tendencies of self-absorption. It calls us to care. It calls us not just to tolerate, not just to involve ourselves, but to actually love one another. Self-absorption, when it's all said and done, brings about unhappiness. Happiness, on the other hand, comes from self-risk, uh, inconvenient involvement, self-sacrifice, and love. Third, Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. What is he talking about here? He's talking about, I think, the fruits of the Spirit and the results of what our faith causes us to be and do in the world. Uh, the fruits of the Spirit are in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we're focused on Christ and we're living according to his teachings, these are the things that emanate from our lives and in our hearts. This is how I say we gauge how we're doing spiritually. When these things go away, we need to reset. Lastly, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the wise man who built his house on rock. When the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against the house, it did not fall. Why? Because it had been built on rock. But we know that the house that was built on shifting sand when all that stuff happened, we know that it fell and great was its fall. This is all about the values that we choose to focus on in life. Are we focused on greed or are we focused on generosity? Are we focused on love or are we focused on fear? Are we focused on hope or are we focused on despair? Are we focused on anger or are we focused on peace? Are we focused on other people or just on ourselves? <clears throat> are we focused on resentment or forgiveness? Are we focused on Christ or a million other things that tend to distract us every single day. It's our choice. And living a life of mission and purpose means that we choose the right values, that we teach our children and our grandchildren the right values, that we surround ourselves with people who have the right values. 
we all have that decision to make. What will our focus be so that our life can withstand the storms of life, not if, but when they come? Because the storms come. If they haven't come for you, they will at some point. And so when you build your life on the values that are based in the teachings of Jesus Christ, then you can withstand those storms and you can make it through and you can keep pressing forward. Leading and living in a Christ-like manner is not easy. It takes study, it takes intentionality, but I promise you, I promise you, it's always worth it. Amen.